What is up, friends and family? It's time for another episode of Hype is My Superpower. I'm one of your hosts, Steve Storman, sadly, back in Brooklyn, New York. But joining me in Santa Barbara, California, via, once again, the miracles of modern technology, it's my good buddy, Will Freeland. Will, what's good, man? Hi. I'm chilling. We are recording a little late because life happens. Life does happen. Um, I was on a plane during our normal recording time, so been mm-hmm. been trying to catch up since. Yeah, but uh, do you, you have a good trip, you and, uh, you and Rachel? It was incredible, man. Just... It, something like that just makes the whole last year just, it feels like it built towards something, you know, mm. it was like, okay, like all of the precautions and being safe and all of this, like, this is what, what we did it all for was to be able to, to hang out with people that we love and just have a good time. And yeah, thanks again for all the time that you were able to spare and for that last dinner, that last night at, at your restaurant, it was all just fantastic. And was really happy to be able to see you and, and everybody else out there that I care about. Yeah, man. It's a, it a good time. I'm glad you guys had a good time. We were able to get as many people out for the random events that we did um, as we could. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. Heck yeah. And uh, while traveling, um, this microphone got mixed up with my luggage and uh, went through the laundry. So if I'm having sound problems, you got a face there. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So if I'm having sound problems, you know, just let me know and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll work on replacing this mic. But seems to be so far so good. Yeah, so far so good. Also, a really quick, good mic, though. My yeah. Goodness. Shout out to Justin Petlow for uh, for hooking me up. This was a birthday present from him. Wow, no way. Yeah. Justin. I know, right? So anyway, before we get started, also one more quick note. I, I want to I dedicate this show to Uncle Mac. Uh, Will, Will, your great uncle, just uh, passed away the other day. Yeah, man. Yeah, he just passed. Um, it, what, he was, I mean, he was 97. Yeah, uh, lived lived a pretty solid life. He's basically my grandpa. He was my grandma's brother. Yeah, but, uh, the grandfather on my dad's side passed away before I was born, and grandfather on my mother's side was estranged from the family before I was born. <laughs> so yeah. he, uh, so Uncle Mac was uh, basically my grandpa, mm-hmm. uh, my grandfather figure for uh, my entire life. Well, his mom. My great grandma Nina are the reasons why that side of my my dad's side of the family is in Santa Barbara. Oh, um, right. So, yeah, spent many many a childhood day and night at his place over downtown. Um, yep. He leaves quite the legacy, and uh, he is the last of his generation. Wow. Because uh, my grandma passed away. Like two months before my marriage, before my wedding in 2018, yeah, I think he, I think he was just ready. He um, his health was going down for a little bit. Uh, he went checked into the hospital, and I think he was just done. Yeah, he's, he's he stopped eating and stuff, so oh, he was yeah. just he was he was ready to clock out. Yeah, well, since I heard the news, been enjoying his his memory, and and uh, I'm I'm glad to hear that it sounds like he's you know 
that there's peace with you and, and the rest of the family and that this, this feels like a, a happy transition. Uh, also yeah. fond memories of hanging out at his house when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So just, uh, you know, love to you and your family. I'll be remembering him warmly. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Yeah. His um, memorial will be uh, this Friday. Yeah. I have to say, I, your mom sent out the obituary mm-hmm. and I read it. And I realized I never knew his first or last name. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, I didn't know his first name until I was like 15. (laughs) It was always just Uncle Mac. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I just happened to see uh, an envelope with his name on it one time. It was addressed to sam vickers and i was like who's this uncle mac this, this like they're sending to the wrong house he's like that's and me that, that obi-wan kenobi meme know him <laughs> right <laughs> oh man and that and that was actually how i found out that in the south you go by your middle name oh okay. like, that's just a thing like everyone in the south knows my dad as kent no kidding Greg. yeah and so, like, uh, huh. my first time out in, in North Carolina. So, my first time on a plane was actually with Uncle Mac. And he took me to North Carolina to visit, like, the extended family and stuff. Yeah. And when he was introducing me to people, they're like, yeah, this is this is uh, Greg's son. And they're like, oh, this is Kent's boy? <laughs> I was like, who's, who's Kent? What is happening? Am I also Kent? <laughs> right? What? <laughs> if, so, we ever, uh, if we ever go uh anywhere in the south together am i gonna have to start calling you kent apparently like no boy that's just that's just a thing man um <laughs> but it just totally threw me out but that's how i found out because my great uncle's name is samuel mckinley vickers and he would go by mac well tough to segue off of that but should we get off get on yeah. should we do what show? we're what we're here for what we're here for yeah not you know fond reminiscence of our memories of nonagenarians, but talk about comics instead. Sure. Um, so I've got, uh, I, I read a handful of things, uh, all of them short, but you know, just because it was a lot of different things, I feel like there's ground to cover there. Mm-hmm. Um, Will, what did you read this week? So last week was incredibly busy. I was all over the place. I only had time to read two books okay. instead of my usual three. Oh, no. <laughs> so, um, uh, so I read Future Fight Firsts. So okay. more Future Fight original characters going into we've already we've already seen them in agents of atlas but Ooh. how did they get their powers like sure. that's how every single issue starts it's like here's crescent you know her as the taekwondo prodigy with a mystical bear spirit named io together they're the crime fighting duo known as crescent and io but what happened before how did she get her powers? How did she become one of the most formidable fighting forces this side of Seoul? And it's like, <laughs> I... <laughs> sure. Yeah. <clears throat> so what you're uh, saying is you care deeply about this. Part. Oh, so deeply. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So anyway, so Future Fight First was that. And then King Deadpool Volume 1, which oh. uh, is... Plus, 60- <laughs> what is he king of? Yeah, right. So the 
first four issues were done by Bachalo, and I just love his art so much. Yeah, so I was so excited good. to read this. So, but we're saving King Deadpool for a second. Okay, 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 okay. Future fight firsts is ridiculous, and mm-hmm. we needed we need to just get it put it in the past. So, so is the is this the whole the whole thing is just Crescent and Io, or is it a no, bunch of different? It's characters? one issue intros for okay. three of their original characters, and so it's funny because on the back it says collecting future fight first Crescent and Io, Luna Snow, and White Fox, and so I think it's only going to be three issues, and mm-hmm. then there's three more issues in the back of. Well, three more, like, half issues takes up, like, two issues worth. Called Future Avengers. And it doesn't say that you know them from Future Fight, but it's it's covered. It says Future Fight first up top. And it's, but it's not advertised on the back of the volume huh. as being in here. Okay. I was very confused. But maybe had, they're like backup stories from each of the. Well, maybe. So it has, <laughs> it has like three web issues. That's like, that oh. like their sort of origin story. Okay, sure. And I'll get to them in a second. But uh, there is on Disney Plus, there's a show called Future Avengers sure okay. um and this is a similar red yellow that's on there mm, and i'm getting the logo through, yeah and i'm getting through avengers now there's five seasons i'm in the middle of the third season okay. and one of the things i'm going to watch next is future avengers just to see what it whatever the heck it is sure um and this i imagine this will probably be that but we'll see anyway so uh, the first issue is white fox I feel like we talked about White Fox. She's a Kumiho. She's the last Kumiho. Have we talked about that? I don't believe so. I have a terrible memory. All right, cool. So, um, so White Fox is her name is Amy Han. She's South Korean, and when we get introduced to her as an agent of Atlas, she is already a member of the South Korean National Intelligence Service. And she's a shapeshifter. She's specifically a Kumiho, which are like these fox spirits. Okay. Uh, think of like nine tails from Pokemon, but sure. But Korean. Yeah. Um, and so they can transform and they have mystical powers and they are a legend and blah, blah, blah. And then we find out she's the, she's the last of her line. Um, and it's basically her schoolmate gets kidnapped because her schoolmate's dad gets involved with like the triad or some gang. And then, so she goes and saves her uh, because they, they kidnap her because her dad owes money and he hasn't shown up yet. He's gone AWOL. And so they're like, well, let's just kidnap the kid and like lure him out. Mm -hmm. So she gets kidnapped and then Amy goes out and she's like, I'll save you. And she does her first hero gig where she now embraces fact that she's a kumiho because when her mother was killed in front of her face she's basically ever since then hid the fact that she's a kumiho because the kumiho were hunted blah 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 blah, blah, blah. turns out that the south korean national intelligence service were also going after those the gang members that she was fighting and so Mm -hmm. they saw everything happen and they offered her a job and she was like that would be cool and so (laughs) and then Luna Snow is a K-pop star. She is <laughs> sweet. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. Her name is Soul He. Her stage name is Luna, 
The other three members of her band are Min Ji, her stage name is Minnie, Jin Su, whose stage name is Jessica, and then Hei Wan, whose stage name is Hei Wan. But I feel like they just ran out of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> like they're like, um, here, here's a fun name, here's a fun name, here's Jessica, here's <laughs> the same name <laughs> I was just like okay cool whatever do you so basically her origin story revolves around the k-pop group that she's a member of are basically like a reality show k-pop group that got created from like a competition um okay. kind of like we had one of the the pussycat dolls i think mm, um mm-hmm. was a was was one of those I feel like I don't remember anyway, not important. So on their debut concert, they are renting some Stark tech at the Coliseum that they're at. And it's creating like these giant snowflakes in the air and stuff. It's really cool. It's all over the place. And then aim shows up to steal the Stark tech. So there's, Jehua Kwok, who is known as the Joro Spider. She's an AIM agent. She has needles for legs. I don't know how she stands. <laughs> um, she decides that the middle of this concert is the perfect time to go and steal the Stark tech. And so Luna shows some courage and stands up in front of them so Jorah spider is like oh you have courage as a reward i'll let you watch your friends freeze to death because she knocked out the other three and threw all four of them inside the like stark tech cryo generator and then since she's the only one alive she's trying to get out stark tech generator which is experimental sorry forgot to throw that out there goes haywire and hits her and all of a sudden she gets like she gets imbued with ice powers so think about so so basically what happened to carol danvers right but with stark tech and a k-pop star (laughs) sounds great Uh, What, what could possibly go wrong right so her hair goes half white and she gets a blue eye and she has extreme ice powers and she saves the day and then it's all on camera and it's all on people's phones and so that's how she gains popularity and that's how jimmy woo finds her because her entire origin story was on you know broadcast national television it was on the gram exactly (laughs) and so her stage name is luna and then she did all this ice stuff and so the crowd started going luna snow luna snow she's Uh. like that's a cool name i should do that (laughs) So there's that. And then Crescent and Io. Basically, you have your stereotypical 10-year-old Taekwondo prodigy. It's the um, stereotype. You're right. Yes. There's enough <laughs> that's a stereotype. Thanks. <laughs> Sorry. The stereotypical uh, child prodigy Yeah. Uh, that okay. comics love to have <laughs> because they don't want to show anyone learn. They just want them to already be smart. Sure. Um, the, ta- the Taekwondo kid. Yeah, exactly. So, um, <laughs> I'm curious how it's at all. Is it ever meaningfully like different that it's Taekwondo versus any other martial art? Like, does it 
look or or act or affect the story in any way or is it just like hey this is you know a different martial art from a different country of origin that's a great question i do not know okay. like as opposed to like karate or or, or a kung fu or, or kung fu yeah blah, blah, blah. yeah um i don't have an answer for that okay i guess i know that it's, i know it's that karate Korean, so right yeah <laughs> i know that karate the direct translation, well, it's karate. It's pronounced that. It's pronounced karate because sure. it's Japanese. But the direct translation is open hand or empty hand. Hmm. And so it's all about your hand-to-hand combat as opposed to using weapons. Sure. But that's literally all I know about any sort of martial arts. So, uh, <laughs> so to directly answer your question, I have no idea. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, this girl, Don B, her parents broke up. And so her mom left. And then her dad is an antiques dealer and the shop isn't going anywhere. And I believe that was why she left. But as time has gone on to make ends meet, dad's been having some shady dealings at night uh, with some, uh, he calls special customers. It turns out that he started doing like black arms dealing, uh, mm-hmm. black market stuff after hours. It comes to a head and she comes home from taekwondo practice and her dad is gone the agents or group that were sent to find him and ransack the place find her she's hiding she sees this mask under the bed that she's hiding under and she's like she just puts it like on her forehead and then she tries to fight her way out and then she gets surrounded down in the store and so she puts the mask on and then this spirit calls to her. It's like, Don B, I've been watching you. I hear your call and I'm here to answer it. And a giant freaking bear just kind of pops up behind her and helps her fight. Basically kind of he moves the same way she does. So her being Taekwondo prodigy. So think of like a martial arts armor, huh? but the armor is like separate from her. You mean armor from the X-Men? Armor from the X-Men, yes. Yeah. Hisako. Mm -hmm. And the bear just is is just like chilling now and she can talk to it. Mm -hmm. And the bear knows that her father is alive and relieves her suspicions that he left her. And so now they spend time taking down rings, trying to figure out where her dad is. And when she's breaking up, some arms deal, Jimmy Woo and White Fox and Luna Snow show up and they're like, hey, Jimmy's like, I've been watching you. Do you want to join a team? And she's like, all right. (laughs) And that's her origin story. Jimmy Um, Woo in the the post-credit scene. We're we're thinking of putting a team together. Yeah, basically. (laughs) That's exactly what that was. (laughs) So anyway, I don't really care about their origin stories, but I appreciate that they only did one issue per origin story. Just knock them out. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of Aaron Swordmaster. Aaron Swordmaster. So what you I don't know why those two are more popular. What you appreciate about this comic is that it didn't make you read more comics. Yes. I appreciate so because okay, so I played Future Fight when it first came out. Yeah, you did. Six years ago. Yep, I remember. And I played the crap out of it for like six months and then I dropped yep. it. They introduced these characters, I think, like three years ago. Oh. Um, and so like 
I'm happy conceptually for 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 Netmarble and Future Fight for making a game that is so successful that they were able to partner with Marvel to create their own IPs. Right. Like make their own characters. Cool. Yeah. And you know, props to Marvel for being like, let's put them in 616. That's sure. like cool, fine. I don't need a shotgun blast of origin stories for characters that didn't exist before three years ago in a, in a video game. Sure. And so what I assume is happening because they did these three single issues for these three, but they did a solo series plus an origin six part series for yeah. both arrow and Swordmaster. Yeah. I don't know if Marvel's like, Hey, net marble. What is, what are your two like most, famous or most used characters and let's really dive into those and yeah. bring, and give and flesh them out. But like arrow is relatively interesting because she's like a genius architect mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's just kind of cool. The way yeah, she it's like, different the way. Yeah. It's, it's conceptually different and it's kind of cool the way she like looks at buildings. Like she just like, that's awesome. cri- she critiques other people's like work. It's that's amazing. Like, I'm into it. <laughs> right. And so like, fine. I'll follow Arrow, but like Swordmaster, he already has two very different arcs. Like in his solo series, he was just beginning and they've introduced this whole legend behind the sword that he has and yada, yada, yada. He hasn't even met Shang-Chi, but then he's also got this other origin series where he's already being trained by Shang-Chi and trying to just become a better swordsman. So like, where are you going with this guy? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and also, I just, I, I haven't been sold on him yet. I don't know if that's my bias towards if you're going to have a human with zero powers or abilities or like physical strength, I need them to be at least emotionally competent. <laughs> um, Interesting. Okay. And he's like, he's none of that. No. Like, he's just a guy. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. He he's he's adept at puzzles, but that doesn't help. <laughs> it doesn't help swinging a giant magical sword around that only reacts to him. <laughs> I mean, you never know. You never know. Like he could <laughs> just be. He could end up being like a Lara Croft with with swords. <laughs> but like, I don't know. It just it's it's meh to me sure. uh, so far. But of course. I will read it. It's 616. <laughs> um, so we'll see where this goes. I honestly unashamedly hope that it only goes two volumes. Give me one year, 12 issues, flesh out what you want to do with this yeah. guy. And then let him just be in Agents of Atlas. Like well, after after your intro storyline, and this is like best case scenario in my head that's potentially unrealistic, but like let the comic book readers decide with their money or whatever, or fandom, uh, let them help decide if you should keep doing a solo title after the first 12. Right. And I think also it's going to be how well do they perform in the Korean and Filipino markets? Mm -hmm. You know, these really seem like characters that were introduced and developed to expand Marvel readership and, that might necessarily mean that this is something that is designed to appeal less to you. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. So man, 
way more thoughts about Marvel Future Fight first than I thought <laughs> there was going to be. Anywho, so Future Avengers, there's really nothing much to write home about. It follows these four characters, Adi, Makoto, Chloe, and Bruno, whose aliases are Kodak, Hurricane, Charade, and Twister. Kodak is a technopath. Hurricane has your like your wind power. Charade is a shapeshifter. And then Twister is a cyborg, a, specifically a nanotech cyborg. Oh, um, but anyway, their thing is they are your typical Hydra trained team told that the Avengers are the bad guys. They find out that the Avengers were the good guys. And so they switch. Sure. What was kind of cool is they had different code names when they were Hydra agents. The shapeshifter charade, she was called actress and Kodak was called techno priest which both sound very much more Hydra than Kodak. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought that was kind of cool. So Techno Priest and Actress were already Hydra agents and Bruno and Makoto, who's the cyborg and the wind powers, were super agents in training. And it's kind of just basically them finding strength and friendship. (laughs) Most of it. Friendship is magic. Mm-hmm. Each webcomic starts with them hanging out in Future Avengers Tokyo base. Sure. Because this is very anime. I guess the Future Avengers TV show, I think, is specifically an anime. Okay. But I will know more whenever I get there. But it starts on the base and them them coming across like an old file or an old picture. Hey, you remember when? And then it just ends up being some story about them figuring out teamwork or figuring out that they're stronger together or that they're friends or blah, blah, blah. Not great. What I don't get is when it's set, like just saying Hmm. future Avengers, it's clearly not the 2099 timeline because it's not nighttime. (laughs) (laughs) But it just like it always just says Future Avengers Tokyo Base. Sorry, I'm still laughing at not nighttime. <laughs> um, like it's it's just strange because Hydra's still around. They train against holograms of the current Avengers, like 2020 Avengers, but they're tagged as the Future Avengers. It just says Future Avengers HQ now. Like that's the only time frame I get. So it's that it takes place in the future, not that they're like, they will be the Avengers in the future. I guess. Okay. Um, That's the impression I get because current Avengers do not have a Tokyo base. (laughs) Right. So I don't know, like in the training. I mean, like I could see it like being like young Avengers where it's like. Right. I could see that. But like, I don't know. It, It was weird because it's rare that you get thrown into an established team Mm. even like young avengers when it first came out they decided that they're going to go and be the next avengers together and like it was very clear that they were going to figure out their teamwork as they go Mm -hmm. but in this one they just straight up are just called future avengers (laughs) yeah and it's the four of them i will say though i'm more intrigued by future avengers because of the new power sets than I am about like Avengers next, which was uh, (laughs) so many uh, different ways to say the same thing. I know (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Avengers next was an alternate 
oh, a potential future where old man Tony is training the offspring of current Avengers. Oh, okay. So it's like T'Challa and Storm's kid. It's Hank and Janet's kid. I want to say was Black Widow and Captain America. I don't know. There's like, there's like four or five of them that are, that are kids of two different Avengers. And so they have blended powers uh, or abilities of the two. And it was old man, Tony, who's training them to become Avengers because, because something came up. I think I want to say it was like some like old man Ultron kind of thing showed up. And Tony was like, well, you guys aren't a team, but you guys got to act like a team. Let's, Let's do this. Like it, it was, it's, it's not great. Um, so future Avengers, I'm way more here for than I was for Avengers next, which is the okay. only other time I've seen a uh, future Avenger type as opposed sure. to all the times we've seen future X-Men types. <laughs> I mean, again, you know, my thoughts on that. Yes. Dude, I don't mind features traveling to the current it's bringing the past to the current and then throwing them in the back. It's uh. that was just bad. I just didn't like anything about the original X-Men coming to the present timeline. Yeah. I mean, I didn't read much of it. I actually stopped not long, at, you know, cause I was, I was reading a little bit more. I stopped not long after and I'll, I'll go back and read it. Cause fuck me. Right. That's what I do. But yeah, it just, even more than most comic book storylines, it was like, well, okay, you fucked with the timeline, but like, hello, they're here now. Like, you didn't fuck that much with the timeline. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like the whole time it felt like you're just sitting on like, okay, when are they going to go back? Yeah. It's a storyline with such a definite end that there wasn't any tension there to be like, oh my God, what happens to them now? What are they going to learn? They're going to forget everything. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Who cares? Yeah, it was annoying. Uh, So what sucked is that they used that team as a way to explore new possibilities Yeah, um, for the five of them. And those really worked. Like, I really liked what they did with those characters. It just sucked knowing that they're going to have to undo it all. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. Especially, like, Gene had just not been a character for very long in the more modern style of like naturalistic storytelling. Like Mm -hmm. I feel like they really had to do a lot of work to catch Gene up as a character with, Mm. you know, the sort of depth and standard that you expect today. And also obviously Iceman coming out. Right. Right. And, and so my 20 years of comics slash X comics Jean's always been that at that point, Jean has been very much in control of her powers and yeah, had a respect for her like psychic abilities. Yeah, and so bringing up young Jean who mm-hmm. is still figuring it out and not knowing what boundaries to cross or not, yeah, to cross, yeah, yeah, um, was kind of fun to see. That is because cool. that's literally how we find out that Bobby is gay, right? Yeah, is her just being like, Oh my god, you're gay. And he's right. like, excuse me, <laughs> yeah. you don't get to out me like that. And that yeah. was like, that was a very interesting tension. And so having a gene that had to learn that was fun to see because I didn't get to see that in the first 40 years of comics that they've been in already. And again, it, it didn't happen. I mean, you got a sense of it with the Dark Phoenix saga because that was her like 
as it's revealed that she's more and more powerful, this is her like becoming intoxicated with the power. And <laughs> it didn't technically happen to her because she was replaced by <laughs> alternate body created by the Phoenix force, but blah, 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 whatever. <laughs> You're shaking your head, your mm. hands are in your face. Yeah. You know, in the original intention, it did happen to Jean. And it was this story about like being tempted by a tremendous amount of power and this sort of, if you can, if you read into it a little bit, this sort of psychosexual, um, I mean, it's not reading that much into it. The Hellfire Club wear bondage outfits all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this very sort of like sexualized, sublimated idea of, of power and temptation and, you know, what are, what is healthy in experiencing this sort of power slash sexual rapture and what is unhealthy. And like, so when you're, kind of describing that it made me think of a lot of times we come across purple man um, mm. when he has this unfightable hypnotic voice yeah like anytime you come across him like he's revealed to be the, the person like right he's in bed with five women yeah just he's he's always used that power to subjugate either to make a uh, a slave out of someone or to have make someone sleep with him right like he very much explores kind of that side of like well i have all this power that no one can say no to right yeah it. <laughs> and i'm gonna use it for my own gratification in every yeah. way possible yeah yep. jeans was more i mean uh was less of like i am going to it, it it's more of just like an expression of self right like this all this power is within me and it, it's sort of like a, a creative or like expressive process to see what my limits are see how you know much i can do and destroys an entire solar system out of it yeah so that was like gene and bobby and then with hank they took him in a more experimenting with magic and science huh. route kind of a la dr doomish right um, huh but he he experimented with magic that was more powerful than he can control and so the more he used it the more he turned into like he basically kind of had this like demon persona with horns and stuff that got kind of weird and interesting so um, that I, that seems interesting because it's kind of using the tension of the alternate future of dark beast Mm-hmm. of aoa mccoy and, and he's at this inflection point of like he could he's still young enough where he could turn into either and seeing him like sort of yeah explore both sides that's cool and then with scott so th- this all happened basically right after avx and so you have scott summers being public enemy number one adult and, scott yeah uh, yeah you have adult scott summers being public enemy number one because he killed Charles Xavier. Yeah. And so the whole reason why the five came to the present is because beast wanted to bring them up and try to show the current five of like where we were. And maybe that'll bring you back because this was his like, yeah, Yeah. this was like his last ditch effort to try to quote unquote, save Scott. So anyway, young Scott sees old Scott and he's like that. There's no way there's no way that's me. Like, I no, this is no. And so he actually goes and spends a lot of time with Corsair with his dad. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of gets this, like 
different kind of maturing and not maturing under Xavier's influence, but under Corsair's influence. Sure. Um, and so he went and did the Starjammer thing for a little bit. And that was pretty cool. And then because um, a, a space pirate is so much more of a <laughs> responsible upbringing for a child than a, exactly. a school um, teacher. And then with Warren Worthington, with Angel, he did the Black Vortex upgrade. I know nothing about. Oh, I'll damn. read it. I'll read it. Yeah. Well, so he got a cosmic upgrade and didn't get oh. it back. Oh. And that was a whole other thing. So, like, they explored new reimaginings of either their character or their powers and abilities that I think was interesting and you couldn't as easily do with the adults, but it sucked seeing all that. And then to your point, knowing, well, it's just got to end. Right. <laughs> Cause at some point, like it's still canonically, these are the same five. Right. Like when young Scott in one of their first stories, when young Scott was like dying, old Scott starts fading away. Like it is right. very much <laughs> the same characters. And so like, they're going to have to do a mind wipe and they're going to have to do like, an ability wipe or something and you know it's coming yeah yeah and so that kind of sucked yeah anyway that was a bit of a tangent Uh, yeah also also young yeah sorry yeah that's fine moving (laughs) on to king deadpool (laughs) you're making you're making me excited to go back and read this sort of interregnum right like after i finish (laughs) so the first gap on my x-men knowledge was the side stories of 83 to 2001 Uh And I'm on 97 now, almost 98, actually. So the closer you get, the longer each year is, but I'm making solid progress. Yeah. So when I finish with that, then I'll catch up on that sort of like, what, 2014 to 2019 sort of period. And then I will have read everything. Fuck my life. (laughs) That's awesome. You're pumping your fists. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) King Deadpool. so So King Deadpool. I, like you, was like, king of what? So <laughs> I also really like King Deadpool's design. He just has like this like robe. And then, so this is a land shark. His name is Jeff. Okay, um, I was going to say, what's... <laughs> it's yeah. a puppy-sized shark with legs. He was introduced in Gwenpool. Getting the pool verse together. Yeah, basically. She stops by and says, hey, you need to take Jeff. And he's like, why? She says... In order for him to survive, he needs to be in a book that has more survivability than mine. Dude, her meta self-awareness is so interesting. Like, it's so much more poignant than Deadpool's is because she came from, quote unquote, our world and was right. inserted into, into 616. Right. And because of that, she knows that she is a comic book character. And mm-hmm. on top of that, so her whole motivation is to become a main character so she won't get killed. <laughs> like, it's mind-blowing. It's so cool. So anyway, that is so, fantastic. Uh, they introduce Jeff in her book, and it's her pet. And he's like, the side. he goes up to your knee, and he likes to bite things because he's adorable. And she's just like, he needs to be in a book that will continue to go. And if he's by your side, he won't he'll he'll keep being uh printed so he will still have a life um <laughs> i know it was it was adorable and they don't even bring her back after that anyway so <laughs> the first page is him fighting this big green thing because he got hired 
by somebody to go to Staten Island. And I've I've missed this. I don't know when this happened, but Staten Island is now <laughs> Monster Island. <laughs> checks out really so staten island is now home of a bunch of monsters not to be no not to be confused with araco and also not to be confused with the monster island that kid kaiju lives on this is a third monster island that we are referring to you could never Um, have too many you 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 really you need a renewable source of monsters and then you need backups Mm mm-hmm so he goes and fights and kills this giant monster. Turns out that monster was the king. And so by right of combat, since he killed it, he is now the king of the monsters. And that is how he is King Deadpool. Okay. He's king of the monsters. He is king of the monsters. So this, that, and the other thing happens. Bichala's art is amazing. And then uh, Craven shows up. Also, well, sorry, first... Elsa Bloodstone shows up because she is a monster hunter. And so their paths will cross from time to time. And she acts as like a cameo support character. And then Craven shows up and he's like, what better game to hunt than monsters? And so he sees Staten Island as his new jungle kind of a thing. Okay. So, uh, sorry, just real quick. Do you know anything about Staten Island in real world? That's where all the immigrants came to. to uh, no, that's Ellis Island. That's Ellis Island. Damn it. No, then. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Staten Island is one of the boroughs of New York. It's not connected by subway. There's a bridge from Brooklyn or a ferry from Manhattan that you can take. The ferry scene from Spider-Man Homecoming. Mm -hmm. That's the Staten Island ferry. Uh, I'm going to make sure you get on the Staten Island ferry when you come visit. Uh, because it it just looks exactly like the fight scene. You're like, oh, that's awesome. But anyway, it's <laughs> it's the um, the most suburban and also the most conservative borough <laughs> in New York City. That's a, okay. <laughs> 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 now I see your support. I would. I just think it's funny. <laughs> I just think it's funny. It's like, oh yes, this is where the monsters live. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay, I would say there's probably more monsters in Manhattan in the real world, but you know, yeah. <laughs> Moving um, on, yeah. Oh, so the Craven that is here is actually the Craven that we know's son. So Craven and his wife had three, ch- four children. All six of them are badass hunters. One of his sons became a monster the other son is like the blind loyalist i will be my father's legacy kind of a thing daughter is insane and a good huntress always good combination yeah point is the obsessive i will be my father's son craven is the one that's in this sure he was only just introduced in spider-man like a few years ago they're still pretty new so king deadpool when he became king the king's royal guard were away on mission so they come back to find out that they have a new king and so he has the roundish table instead of the round table One of the members, his name is Chet. It's just a regular human. And then Zergo, Z-R-R-G-O, son of Orgo. Um, Okay. Are you familiar with Orgo? Mm, Don't think so. I mean, he's just like your typical 
go-to big monster guy, but he's big and rocky and he has giant glowing yellow eyes. Okay. He's just known as Orgo the Unconquerable. He's been in the Kid Kaiju books, but like typically he only shows up when you need a generic monster that has a name to show up and like be the monster of the week. (laughs) Sure. But apparently he has a son and his name is Zergo and it's amazing. (laughs) Then you have Nightwolf, Collab, The Pile, which is a bunch of small pink bodies that join together to make a faceless big pink body (laughs) bun bun the destroyer is a giant cyclops bunny that shoots lasers from his eye (laughs) and quonian kind of looks like piccolo from dragon ball z he's not a monster but he is an alien elsa has some weird dealings going on with Turns out the guy that hired Deadpool also. So there's something going on in the background. We don't really get to see what it is exactly. Deadpool tries to make Monster Satin Island a thing, like get some money income, make it like a tourist place. Steve Rogers shows up and he's like, what the hell are you doing? He's like, don't worry about it. We're having a good time. We're all monsters. So there's an underlying theme here of Deadpool trying to be a good king and accepting himself as a monster. Like Mm. he thinks of himself as a monster. Everyone that, you know, stands by his side is doomed to die. And so like when Steve shows up and he's just like, what what are you you doing? And he's like, I'm among my people. I'm the king of these Mm. people. Like, yeah. What, what's, what are you doing? And keep on trying to treat them as animals or, monsters and he's like they have lives too some of them are innocent like leave us alone um, sure. and then you get into the craven fight which goes on for a couple issues relatively unnecessary and ends with sending craven this is giant kraken type monster in the ocean and he lured craven to it and craven survives by fighting it and gets dumped out in alaska i don't know how he got there from new york but whatever <laughs> whatever um <laughs> It's fine. And then you see Elsa keeps on showing up and she's being nice to Deadpool. Deadpool is burying the dead. In a pool? Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. That was terrible. I'll edit that so, out. <laughs> he's carrying Jeff around. It's just, it's really cute. Jeff is so <laughs> cute. He's one of my favorite <laughs> side characters in all of Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, look at how happy he is. <laughs> that is just yeah. the most adorable little boy. Little baby um, shark. Little land shark. So anyway, he's adorable. And then, so the Craven thing ends on issue four. And then issue five explores Deadpool trying to embrace being a good king. This giant monster that he can't communicate with goes on to mainland New York. And Elsa's like, we need to kill it. And Deadpool's like, no, let me talk him down. I'm his king. It ends with the monster not listening to him and killing two innocent bystanders. And so Deadpool says basically damn it and kills the monster because it won't go back to the island and uh it was a defining moment for deadpool just like trying to do the good thing trying to make sure monsters don't kill humans make sure they don't ruin the image of monsters to humans blah 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 Mm -hmm. um and it was also a defining moment for elsa to be like you're right i've treated every monster like a monster like Mm. there's more to them than that I apologize. And they hold hands. 
So now there's like this like budding sexual tension <laughs> because every time she shows up, he calls her hot. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I can't have a hot woman showing up all the time. What are you doing? But that was just, that was a really good issue for Deadpool. And then the sixth issue, he finds out that this guy, Jelby, <laughs> he's just a giant gel thing. <laughs> he, he's a mutant and his mutant power he can carry infinite things inside of him. He stretches to fit. So <laughs> just a bag of holding with legs. Yes, that's exactly what it is. So Deadpool declares he wants to go to Krakoa and he gets on his throne and he has this giant speech bubble about what's going on on Krakoa with the X-Men. He says, <laughs> and the X-Men have been so snooty about their fancy Krakoa gates, which is totally nuts because even though I'm not a mutant, if you consider the fact that thanks to my movies, most people in the world believe I am a mutant. <laughs> and, we, and we all know that if enough people believe it, then it's basically true. And so I should totally be able to get into Krakoa on like a technicality. <laughs> but do they even answer phone calls about this? The answer is no, no, they don't. Meanwhile, they're in there sitting on maybe the cure for cancer. And it's like, hello, I have the cancer man like how many times do i have to help those jackasses before they give a crap about me i mean yes rogue called me back i'll give her that but when i called her back i heard she was a tree now and then (laughs) (laughs) but then someone else said she was a lighthouse it it was all very confusing which admittedly is very on brand for the x-men but still (laughs) then it has an asterisk and it's like sound insane it is in a good way read excalibur (laughs) so so, so basically he finds out that Jelby is a mutant. And so he wants to hop inside Jelby and go and sneak into Krakoa. <laughs> so, so he does. And then as he's sneaking on, Jeff bites him in the ass and then gets in. And so he's walking around with a Jelby suit and a, and a Jeff tail goes to Manhattan, goes to the Krakoa gate and hops into Krakoa. He's there for literally seconds and uh, Sage notices and says, attention, I have a priority level one alert. We have two non-mutant, non-authorized breaches at the Manhattan one gate. I need an alpha team on the Manhattan one gate location now. And so it's, you know, it's Jeff and Deadpool. So and they're like, what the hell are you doing here, Wade? <laughs> so he has another, he has another speech bubble. And just when he goes on rants, I just can't, I can't. It's so good. Uh, so he says, you know what? You guys are such secret handshake jerks. I swear to God, some of us are out here having cancer and are kings of islands full of monsters that could be mutants and can't even get their own Krakoa gate. Oh, we have a whole island and fancy gates and only people like us can get in. You know what some people call that? Fascism. That's right. You're a bunch of fascists. And I'm not saying you hurt my feelings, but yeah, you did. <laughs> and then throughout the rest of the issue, he just screams out calling them fascists like five more times. Um <laughs> After that, he goes and has a one-on-one meeting with Emma to be like, hey, I have some demands. And they're like, well, that's great, but we're not giving any of those to you. Basically, he says, do I get to have a summer house like the fancy one I heard about on the moon? (laughs) Um, (laughs) And an unlimited Krakoa pass and some flowers to plant our own Krakoa gates on Satin Island and a cure for cancer would be great. Emma says, I'm sorry, we do not have a cure for cancer. And no, you're not going to get Gates and you're not going to get a summer house. All because we've ran the numbers on you and the over under on you burning this place to the ground in under a month is something like 97%. So we don't want you here. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, 
fine. <laughs> and she's like, as for the gates, there are two gates in Manhattan, just a ferry ride away from you. Don't be greedy. <laughs> <laughs> so he says, you're, you're, you're a jerk. They have another fight. Five minutes later, he tries to steal a Kirkon flower and then everyone shows up again. They're like, what the hell are you doing? Deadpool does a fastball special with Jeff and throws <laughs> him at Storm. <laughs> <laughs> he picks him up he goes this is called a fastball special buddy the x-men love them <laughs> throws him at <laughs> throws him at storm and she's like what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> and then jeff bites polaris rogue shows up and convinces him to stop fighting and she and logan basically are like we're your friends we're trying to like do our thing here please leave <laughs> um <laughs> She gives him a flower and he declines it because he doesn't want any pity from any of them. He goes, all right, Jelby, let's go. And Jelby's like, I actually kind of want to stay here. And he's like, what? I can't believe you're doing this to me right now in front of them. (laughs) So as soon as he shows up and spends some time in Krakoa, does his mind change about it? Hey, I don't know. Well, so he he's very like sorry about it. He feels really bad. So maybe, maybe, maybe. Because it's not like he had it bad on Staten Island. Anyway, so Ileana teleports him back and Jeff shows up and spits out a Kirkcoan flower. No. So uh, okay. Deadpool now has a Kirkcoan flower. Oh, cool. And he puts out a sign on the dock that says no, no more mutants. <laughs> 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 he, he has declared that mutants are not allowed on his island. Um, and then the cliffhanger to get you to read the next issue Elsa shows up. She's got this like black jewel in her palm and it's like eating away at her. And she says, I'm dying. Oh, okay. And volume two is right over there. I just have to get there. Sweet. But yeah, so that was we, a fun we can, read. We can just, uh, we can just kick the Lobdell retrospective down the road even further. It's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like King Deadpool. He's been, he's been a little bit of everything. He's been a demon king. He's done the X-Men thing. He's done the full-on mercenary thing. He's done the dad thing. He's done the Avengers thing. Now yeah. he's the king of monsters. It's fun. That's awesome. Uh, all right. So let's see. The first thing I read, I finished that Alpha Flight arc. I'm not going to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> there was a big two issue long fight with Mesmero where he possessed all of the bystanders in the bar and at certain points in time, every member of Alpha Flight, but not all of them at the same time. And it was a big mess. And mm-hmm. that's all, all there is to say about that. The next thing I read was the first handful of issues of a new Maverick ongoing title. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Very strange (laughs) that they would choose to have an ongoing series about Maverick because he's had like just a small handful of appearances total before this. Like, especially if you cut out like flash, you know, Wolverine flashbacks where it's like Maverick, you know, in his spy days. Yeah. You're talking like five, maybe. Wow. But apparently that was enough to get him his own series. So they still do that, dude. It, I, don't, I don't like it. <laughs> so yeah, the backstory: he has the legacy virus. Uh, so he's this spy guy, right? He's German. He was like a German freedom fighter, whatever, during the Cold War, and made his way to the U.S. and changed his name from Christoph Nord to David North, and took some mercenary jobs. Showed up every once in a while to just kind of look at Wolverine funny, and then he got the legacy virus. 
They did a one shot with him earlier. So they established a couple of the principles of this. One, he befriends this kid named Christopher Bradley, who is also a mutant with the legacy virus. And there was this like this really cool story in an issue of X-Men Unlimited where he shows up on Cerebro, gets recruited by the X-Men, goes through the whole training process, and then they diagnose him with the legacy virus. And they're like, in case you're contagious, we can't have you here. And also you should probably be living out like your final days with your family. And so he leaves the mansion, he goes back home, but he befriends Maverick and they're sort of suffering from it together. Also in the Maverick one shot, he meets this girl, Ivanova, who has psychic powers and she has blah, 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 dead father, vengeance, befriends him mercenary target thing whatever uh so that's a backstory i'm sure it was new in 97 (laughs) right concept (laughs) (laughs) yeah it even in this reading the the exact same character archetype pops up in there's a wolverine special later I'll, i'll i'll get to it in a sec but you know russian girl with a dead father who carries a grudge and befriends a superhero who saves them from the dark side of vengeance. Literally that exact same story happened in something that I read this week. Oh, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so, so, (laughs) so Maverick is being sort of pursued by this guy, Ivan Pushkin and his, two mercenaries under his employ who are named hammer and sickle and they wield respectively a hammer and a sickle. Excellent. Yeah. (laughs) So the other question about Maverick, besides why would you give a ongoing story to a main character who's barely appeared in the comics before and has no backstory to speak of is How do you make an ongoing series about a character with a terminal illness? And the answer that they came up with in this is cure him in the first five pages. Oh, yeah. So there's, it's not, you know, like, oh, I have to like beat this illness or like do these last things before I die or anything like that. No, he technically dies of the virus in like the first handful of pages. And then his psychic girlfriend revives him, like gets in his brain and like jumpstarts his brain while his body's dying. And that apparently like he just like is reborn. The virus goes into remission. He gets his powers back. So that's cool. After that, he gets captured by that guy Pushkin. He's trying to put him into the psychic control thing. And as part of that is forced to relive memories that had previously been shut off. Apparently he had this horrendously dialogued marriage to a double agent who he had to kill along with their unborn child, yada, yada, yada stuff. We didn't know. Okay. He's convinced by this guy Pushkin that a government friend of his named Barrington was behind her like seduction and betrayal mission of him. So he goes to Mark, the guy alpha flight intervenes for some reason, they know who each other are. He breaks control and they go to save somebody else because it was, oh, it was a trick all along. They were really sending me in to tie up security so that Hammer and Sickle could murder this other guy. 
Uh, okay. So they go off to save the other guy and then they <laughs> leave Barrington with Puck. Puck gets uh, hammer beats up Puck and kills Barrington. That's it. Oh, oh, also Maverick breaks out of the psychic control of Pushkin almost immediately. So they spend like two issues setting that up and then undo it within half of one. Yeah. So that was Maverick. The next thing that I read was a Gambit limited series. This is the second Gambit limited series. The first one concerned sort of Belladonna Boudreaux and the Thieves and Assassins Guild and Kandra and all that sort of backstory. Then that was like, you know, Gambit was a pretty new character. So that was about like sort of fleshing out backstory. He's got this sort of Romeo and Juliet type thing going on. And it took place in New Orleans, et cetera, et cetera. This, <laughs> so <laughs> this takes place now where Gambit has some measure of like continuity, right? Like he's kind of a central member of the X-Men or he was until they found out his dark secret about right. the mutant massacre and left him alone in Antarctica. So last time we saw him, he was <laughs> alone stranded in Antarctica. Now he's in Miami beach with no explanation. And it's not flashback. Like he references his time in Shi'ar space. It just, it doesn't reference any of that stuff at all. Not the trial, not the, okay. So everyone's chasing this angel who fell to earth. There's like a priest and a demon and a nun. And Did they all walk into a bar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sorry. <laughs> oh god i wish no there's just this like angelic being who falls to earth and gambit meets her up close and sort of gets distracted in the middle of a heist and gets captured and rescued by the priest guy he unwittingly sleeps with a nun he didn't know she was a nun Um, i mean that's on the nuns right (laughs) (laughs) she decides that we're gonna sleep together Uh uh-huh her calling is officially hung up (laughs) uh and then she gets turned into a sort of a zombie demon thing anyway so it it quickly kind of you get the sense of the main plot is that remy has to get this angel to the vatican and like he takes a plane to like France is like, no, we got to do the rest the hard way for some reason. And so there's like a train and a car and a, every single different thing. Basically, I think it was all just an excuse to, they got like Claus Jansen, who was the inker on Daredevil Born Again, and but also was the penciler for a lot of subsequent Daredevil issues. I think it was just a way to get him to draw Catholic stuff again. Cause The whole thing, it's like, it's this literal like Catholic redemption arc for Gambit. And, you know, that would seem to fulfill a major role after the mutant massacre trial and everything that's happened with him. But it doesn't reference any of that stuff at all. And as a result, it's just like much, let alone Gambit at this moment story. It barely feels like a Gambit story at all. So. That was that. The next thing that I read was the Wolverine 1997 annual. And this is the story that I was talking about before with the Russian girl who father was killed and has to learn a life beyond revenge. Right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It's one of those things where like it's an annual 
and it introduces a brand new set of characters, including a brand new villain. And you're just like, okay, this is going to be a pure throwaway story. And it was, it was a pure throwaway story, but there was one cool thing in there. So, so many of the Wolverine stories are about sort of like mastering the animal inside of him, right? Like keeping Mm -hmm. the man in control. And it's about fury and emotion versus like rational control and civilization. So in this one, he's being tracked by this old adversary from his spy days who has since been transformed into a werewolf like you do. Turns out that werewolf guy was looking for a fight that would bring out like the full animal in him. But when they do that fight and the transformation happens, he just walks away. And Logan like kind of recognizes that this is a wolf thing. A wolf won't kill for no reason. And it's man is the dangerous, unnatural killer who gets, you know, swept up in emotions and hatred and all this stuff. The wolf is not looking to hunt. It's not looking for anything else. So as soon as the transformation happened, the wolf just kind of walks away. And the issue ends with maybe Wolverine's conflict is has been about keeping the man down and not the animal. I thought it was a cool inversion, you know, interesting kind of take or wrinkle on the character thematically, but nothing in terms of plot or soap opera that's interesting. Yeah, it's too uh, bad that that has to happen with no-name characters. Yeah, it's it's true, isn't it? Like in order to sort of expand your conception of who the character is, they have to mm-hmm. take away the consequences. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they do that all the time. All the time. <laughs> is what it is. Yeah, I guess so. And then the last thing that I read was a Colossus one shot. So last we checked in on those characters, Piotr and, and Megan were in Paris. I uh, remember the, they they walked all the way from the Swiss Alps to uh, <laughs> to Mount Wondegore to help out with the fight against Exodus, and then High Evolutionary is like, "Nah, I don't want your help. I'm just gonna teleport you straight back to Paris." Um, hi, cat. Yes, you're very adorable. <laughs> uh, you, you just show your butthole right to Will. Um, I appreciate that. Thank yeah. So. Let's see if I can see my notes around this cat here. No, you can't drink my water. So one little quick side note that I thought was cool. They go to an art museum in Paris. They go to the Dorsay. And obviously Colossus has interest in art. But Megan, you know, she has those sort of empathic powers where she reflects the emotions of those around her. Mm -hmm. And that extended to the art that she was viewing. And like the oh. emotion that he was expressed with that art. Wow, that's interesting. Right. I thought that was really cool. And it was a good sort of way to explore the synergy between these two characters. Yeah. Uh, after the museum, Megan wants to go to an amusement park. And guess what? It's Murder World. Ah, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so one of the last times that Colossus met up with Arcade, he was brainwashed into believing that he was the proletarian, a, uh, right. <laughs> a dude with a hammer and sickle and a literal picture of Vladimir fucking Lenin on, <laughs> on his costume and like a flat cap and all that shit. Absolutely hilarious. Is that uh, still so th- your, is that still your cover photo? On no, Facebook? no, it's not. It's not, not anymore. Okay. 
so the proletarian returns, but it's a robot dupe, which is unfortunate. Um, <laughs> you know, they get out of murder world pretty quick, all things considered. Uh, and they find out that Arcade was hired by Black Air to abduct and kill them, who is the intelligence agency that Pete Wisdom used to work for and the main antagonist of Excalibur during the Warren Ellis run and incidentally the current captors of Wisdom and Nightcrawler in Excalibur. So that's it. That was my reading for this week. We've got a little bit of time, so I may as well go ahead and do the Scott Lobdell retrospective. Sure. If you don't mind. No. So I wanted to do this first off, like, by all accounts, in his personal life, he is a real jackass. There have been numerous things where he has been sexually inappropriate towards women, including on panels at Comic-Cons. Wow. Yeah. So there's sort of a strain of thought that, like, you shouldn't discuss people's work in that sense. You should just, like, cut them out. And to a certain extent, I'm sympathetic to that, but also, like, this guy's career is done and we're talking about comics that he made 30 years ago. And it just, I don't know, maybe this is a larger topic for conversation that we have time for right now, but I feel like the stakes here, I'm talking about X-Men and I'm trying to build this coherent structure or story or history of the X-Men as a soap opera. And, you know, he was the main creative force on it between the Jim Lee era and the time he left in frustration. (laughs) So that was about five years. Mm -hmm. And that seems like part of the story and something that like, like, are you, so are you struggling with the adage of these kinds of people should not get screen like spotlight time, but right. Exactly. It's like, we're we're not, we're not, we're not fucking platforming Scott Lobdell. He's right. (laughs) You know, I want to make that clear. And I don't think that lending any sort of critical eye towards his work is platforming him and have more complicated thoughts about whether it completely deplatforming somebody for being a real piece of shit is effective or the best way to go about things. But that's, that's kind of side in my idea too, where this conversation is. Well, Sorry, you were about to say something. No, I, I'm not 100% sure where I'm going with my train of thought. So it's totally yeah. fine that you give me more time. <laughs> uh, but uh, I will say in defense of continuing the conversation, to your point, these stories that he wrote are 25, 30 years old at this point. Yeah. I don't feel like we are inspiring people to go and buy these comics from him <laughs> right um and he doesn't get residuals on this shit anyway yeah. comics labor is bad so we, bad for yeah like any creators. spotlight we're giving any given creator so okay i will say when we come across a writer that or an artist that we truly like i think we specifically call them out like yeah i love bachala's art or right um, hickman's uh, writing or uh, simon bianchi's art is yeah. fucking mind-blowing and until something like this guy or ellis happens with these guys i will continue to talk their praises and say that people should go and look at their stuff but that's not going to stop me from talking about the work that they did on the thing that i'm reading 
Right. It's the, it's the extra commentary beyond the black and white conversation that I think you can lessen or, or increase for sure. Depending on the, the person, the subject. Yeah. Yeah. So like this, these are the kinds of things that I honestly kind of, I have to rely on people like you or John to like call out because I, I don't follow the background chatter. Right. Um, the the industry chatter. Teams. Yeah. 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 I don't follow that stuff. And so like, I don't know if I would have ever known that the Ellis stuff happened. Oh, wow. If it wasn't for your prolific status or I think John shared an article or something. Yeah. But like without you two, I, I would have never known. And I would still probably talk about like, oh my gosh, people should go buy his books. Like, Right. I think like a reasonable part of the consequences, certainly not the only one and not in every situation, but when you do terrible shit in your personal life, it does keep us from being able to discuss your creative output without commentary on that. Right. Right. And I think that's part of it. Like this is a stain on your name. It just is. And we can acknowledge that and move on and talk about your creative life, but also like this was a part of it. And this is just a thing that we all need to know as a society and as men not to do and to be better. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think that once these kinds of things happen, they don't get any more work. (laughs) Well, Lobdell did for quite a while, but yes, I will say now, right. In 2020 and beyond. Right. So if you think like chronologically, we could be the, devout supporters that we are up until the point that their shit hit the fan. <laughs> yeah. Like the rest of the world. It's just, right. we talk about it way later. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I, I do want to get just before we have to sign off here, I do want to get it past that and into the actual retrospective of his creative work. So Chris Claremont, when he started his run in 1975, the franchise was almost dead. It was in, reprints x-men like 66 through 93 were all just reprints of earlier issues they had been essentially out of circulation for years and they did giant size x-men one that was successful enough to relaunch the book and then claremont took over with issue 94 and the new team and just built it into basically the the biggest comic book franchise in the 90s it was bigger than Spider-Man. It was bigger than Batman. It was bigger than Superman. It was it. And so when he left, he got chased out by editorial. You know, he spent 16 fucking years on the title and, you know, doing spinoffs and stuff. So it kind of was his thing. And there was this real like, uh, what do we do now? Like, what is the X-Men outside of Claremont? And the obvious answer was to turn the keys over to Jim Lee. His character designs were the basis for the animated series, which led to a huge spike in popularity. It's how we both found out about X-Men and became fans, for example. (laughs) Um, But after Claremont left, Jim Lee was there for like 18 months, if even that. Really? Yeah. He was gone. That's hilarious. I know. Before they all walked away, took their talents to Image Comics. So the X-Men were kind of like left in a lurch and Scott Lobdell 
started writing after Claremont left. Obviously, he wasn't sort of the main creative force because Jim Lee took that role. But when Jim Lee left, it kind of fell on him and Fabian Nicieza and then Nicieza left. And it was really Lobdell's show. So Jim Lee's stories were kind of more like procedurals, you know, kind of much more like the animated series, you know, like you've got the X-Men and the Blackbird and they're flying somewhere and they go and they help out a situation and fight a villain and then they're done and they go home. Lobdell really kind of turned it to this Claremont soap operatic, you know, tons of sprawling subplots. And I've kind of mentioned before that the typical Lobdell issue is it. So 22 pages is the normal comics length. And there's like eight pages of a main story. And then the other 16 pages are like two pages each on eight different subplots. (laughs) Yeah. So there's a lot of that. It just really sort of stilted. In fact, the editor that I'm working with on a comic right now, he had an observation about Lobdell's dialogue that it's all sort of stilted as well. Lots of ellipses training together, disconnected Uh, thoughts, you know, so... And, you know, sometimes it worked, sometimes it did it. And you look at the crossovers that happened during this time. Fatal Attractions was very consequence heavy, but in terms of a plot, rather incoherent. The Phalanx Covenant, coherent plot, but lower on stakes. Legion Quest and AOA, we've talked about before, how those are just incredible. Onslaught, purely, you know, editorial madness. And I can't really fault anybody for the creative insanity that that was and then this last one operation zero tolerance i won't belabor the point because i just went deep on it but again this was kind of a it felt like lobdell was trying to pull together a lot of different things the Iceman plot the marrow plot you know a lot of ideas that he had in the fire but he realized it was ending soon so it was all super rushed anyway there were some high highs but I just don't think he was the strong enough creative force to really say this was certainly not a high point in X-Men history. Mm. And if I remember correctly, after his leaving, it gets even worse until Grant Morrison shows up. So I'm in for a real treat. All right. Well, that'll (laughs) about do it for this episode of Hype is My Superpower. Anything you want to say to the good people of the internet before we sign on off well? Uh, thanks for giving us your time. Oh, uh, are we going to talk about Loki when it's done? Yeah. So I, yes, (laughs) I realized last night that Loki was coming out. And so I watched episode five of Falcon of Winter Soldier because I hadn't yet. (laughs) So I'll watch six tonight. And if you want to talk about that at all, we should, we should make that a topic on the podcast, maybe next week or later. And then. Yeah, I'm down for for some Loki talk once that's done as well. Yeah, Loki's only six episodes also. It makes me really Oh, sad. wow. Okay. Yeah, I'll be more diligent about I, um, watching them on time this time. I, dude, I was glued to the screen last night. Yeah, I saw your t- comment in group chat. I'm excited to watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's... Is, is, yeah, some good stuff. Um, right. One big I, thing that yeah. made... The, that made the internet like a blaze was for his gender. He put fluid and I thought that was really cool. Damn truth. Yeah. Yeah. All right. 
Anyway, I got to so, get out of here. Yeah, okay. we got to run. So let's just, uh, we'll throw the outro music here. Okay. And that's it. <laughs> and then we're just going to call it as, as the drums play us out. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Take care, man. You too. Always. Always. Always.